0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Nobody, nobody knows what's going to
1: happen to anybody besides the forlorn gr- rags of growing old. <laughs>
0: brain. You're a very bad man. I'm a very good man. Just a very bad wizard. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, the Oscar nominations were announced recently, and some people are saying that Greta Gerwig was snubbed, not getting a Best Director nomination for Little Women. Do you think the Academy should have a separate award for Best female director
1: <laughs> this is like <laughs> <laughs> this
0: is like asking you about politics
1: i know at first i was like great great at thurnberg is that who you're asking about? <laughs> um okay little women i know that that's a movie and i i read the book <laughs> um yeah, and for uh, they should have one for uh, black directors and one for uh, black women directors and one for gay black women uh, directors. Gay director, um, best gay director, gay, that would be funny. The, but you have to come out, like, you have to be out, like, because they're, they're not just well, the Best to. closeted uh, director, could be, could be best best closeted actor for Tom Cruise. Just, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. Uh, No, like there's some sort of canonical set of, you know, there's supporting actor, best actor um, in a leading role. And then there's just a ton of shit that like they always somebody always complains that it's either too long or that some category got snubbed. First of all, no matter like it could be an hour and you wouldn't watch it. Number one. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I used to watch it. But okay, let me just uh, before
0: we move on. You made a joke, a good joke, although offensive to many people, about, like, why we shouldn't have best female director. Why doesn't your reasoning, um, and you love to be consistent, apply to actor and actress?
1: Um, well, you don't know that it does because you didn't ask me about well, that. Well, does it? In, Do you, in you fact... think there should
0: just be best actor <laughs> in the inclusive sense
1: that will be women and men? Um, I, I actually have never thought about this and, um, n- now that we use the term actor to refer to both men and women, then I say, I say, yes, yes, yeah, yes. go ahead. Nominate 10 people and give us just the best overall actor. I actually, I actually think that would be fine. I, I mean, I, I would rather see more awards given, um, four different kinds, uh, of, of movies, maybe like, like the way the golden globe separates out comedic and, and drama. Yeah. Um, and then, and then collapse, collapse gender. I mean, what's going to happen when, you know, some non-binary actor and I'm I'm like, I'm not even joking right now. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> what are they going to do? It's inevitable, Careful. right? So at some point, at some point, somebody's going to be non-binary and and play a, a role that's like very powerful.
0: Yeah. So 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 you're going to embrace the reductio.
1: I mean, it's not like ten. It's not like tennis, right? Like you know where where uh, even Serena Williams would admit it's harder. Um, yeah. Uh, to defeat the top.
0: I, so yeah. here's the. If there is a principal distinction between doing this for director and actor, it is that um, really, in, in little women, for example, you need women to play it. You can't have Leonardo DiCaprio uh, as one of the, the little women. You can't or, <laughs> or like Robert just... Robert Pattinson, or something like that. Uh, James Garfield. Uh, Like our ex-president? Sorry, (laughs) Andrew Garfield. (laughs) You can't have former president, long, deceased uh, Andrew Garfield playing Joe March or whatever in Little Women.
1: Um, But so why does that mean that we should have separate categories for for their performance? Well, because you can do do that for
0: director. The same director can direct... You know, like if you have a screenplay, both oh, a, a, see a, a woman and a man can direct that st- screenplay.
1: But I mean, do you really think a woman could have directed? You know, like Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> <The Irishman. laughs> um, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I see you're 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 seeing my principledness and uh, and taking me one step one step further. Well,
0: I'm just saying that there is a distinction, and as a philosopher, I. I search <laughs> I'm obsessed with distinctions and drawing distinctions That's I've dedicated my career to that
1: I I can see that but to to further reductio your reductio, oh, oh reductio I wasn't expecting um, that Yeah like um um I like I take it there are there are categories that you could draw right like um an old person can't play a young person role I mean I guess now with the Irishman you, you can uh, do that but suppose suppose that the technology weren't yes. there, um, I don't you know like a, a black person can't play the role of a white person in some autobiograph you know in some biopic um, uh, like unless they were in white face like Eddie Murphy in that one sorry and Um so like there are a lot of things that can't be played by actors given certain constraints <laughs> An Asian
0: that- uh, upstairs landlord can't
1: be played by like Mickey Rooney. <laughs> right. that I feel like that, that everybody should know that, but just for the listeners who don't know, watch Breakfast at, I watched Breakfast at Tiffany's like really late in life. And um, and I thought, oh, what's this classic movie all about? And I couldn't fucking.
0: Mr. lightly. once again, I must have broke death. If you don't stop with that monograph right this minute, I'm going to go to the police department. Well, that the more better. <laughs>
1: oh, can you imagine if that came uh, out today <laughs> oh my god oh, wow. uh, <laughs> the, no. the, um there's a whole discussion to be had there about what roles you are and aren't allowed to play and we've had that with your <clears throat> like bigoted stance against scarlett johansson uh i Mine? mean in favor of Scarlett, in- I, I, I just don't think she, her last name is pronounced johansson yeah sorry Johansson
0: let's save this talk for maybe we'll do an you know our annual Oscar special
1: like a live you want a live stream (laughs) live stream periscope is that still a thing Uh, (laughs) I don't think so (laughs) Uh, I just I feel like all the technical categories have definitely gotten snubbed I want to I want to know like best foley like that's the kind of shit that really turns me on
0: (laughs) Axel Foley I think it's Eddie Murphy. All right. So we aren't going to stray that far from movies, right? First segment, we're going to talk about four things, four pieces of pop culture that we loved from last year. Um, or at least really liked, I guess. You couldn't find four things that you loved.
1: Yeah, love Love is a strong word. It is a strong word. Okay. <laughs> and,
0: and then One Thing We Hated. So Four Things We Loved, One Thing We Hated from 2019. And in the second segment, we are going to um, talk about David Foster Wallace's Short story, Good Old Neon. We put out a call on Twitter asking people for recommendations. Neither of us are big David Foster Wallace fanatics or even, I don't
1: Certainly not connoisseurs, connoisseurs at all. Connoisseurs,
0: yeah. And yeah. we got a ton of great recommendations on Twitter and also Instagram. Good Old Neon was one, probably the the most recommended of any of them. So we,
1: I think, clearly the most recommended, um, from at least my eyeballing.
0: Yeah. So we did it. We read it, and we will. We we're a little. I don't know. I feel a little
1: trepidation about discussing it, but. Yeah, me too. I feel like uh, it's one of those... Well, I used to feel this way about movies where I'm like, you know, who am I? I'm not a critic. Uh, um, And then uh, clearly, like, I got over that. But for something like literature of this sort, like, I definitely am like, oh, man. I'm like a total noob. um, Yeah, it's not something
0: easy like Borges, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know... the fan devotion to David Foster Wallace, and the things that people will know about the story, about him, about his other work that we won't is that's daunting.
1: right: yeah, that's right, yeah uh,
0: that'll be in the second segment. let's talk about I thought it was actually a really good year. You know, for popular culture, which I define as, which I am defining as movies and TV shows,
1: my category was was far more inclusive of of the less easily defined things, like including even just events ish kinds of things. Um, but but that's because. Those were the things that I had the most feelings about. But I, I was wondering if you were going to, to force a definition of the pop part yeah. of, uh, of the culture. No. And I also, okay, good. <laughs> so I also really laughed because, you know, we're getting up there in years. I'm like, we have daughters who are approximately the same age. And the thought when I put myself in the, like, took the perspective of my daughter of me talking about pop culture like i feel so alienated from anything that is truly pop like for large segments of the population like this i i struggled
0: well they all just watch friends right now friends <laughs> yeah. in the office
1: so well friends got removed from netflix which i oh yeah i know yeah which, my daughter was like even though she doesn't Did even still- really
0: like it, it's like they're forced. They're kind of peer pressured into watching this show about like New York. It makes more it sense maybe for Bella than for all these kids here in
1: Houston. Like, it doesn't make sense for her either. Yeah. It's like a weird. It's like a a weird like attempt at fake nostalgia. I guess like nostalgia for what it was like
0: late eighties, <laughs> early nineties, New York. If you're like.
1: I don't know. No, like, didn't it go into the to the early aughts? I think it even went. Into. Oh, maybe it did. I'm thinking of yeah. Seinfeld. But it is it is a funny sort of. It's like a, the equivalent of of like fashion, like 90s fashion coming back. But anyway, yeah, I'm far far from like I don't have any TikToks in my top. Uh. <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> All right. Let me just get. I don't want to do. It. I actually don't have any ties. I had this. original... I was going to
1: say you're going to be like f- three, and then a category with five, like a five way tie.
0: <laughs> I had a. I had a like original conception was a four way tie for number four, a three way tie for number three, a two way tie yeah, for number two, and then fucking. Just I would have
1: hung. Up. Oh, I would have done the equivalent of hanging up the phone on Skype, like hard. <laughs> but
0: so, given that I'm not going to do that, and I honestly just have one for each. Let me just say one like like uh, uh honorable mention category <laughs> which is there were four movies from last year and it was an it's just a fantastic movie year last year the best in a long time probably 15 or 20 years and
1: it's oh, a bold statement
0: um and there were four movies that i was so excited to see once upon a time in hollywood quentin tarantino's movie parasite by bong jun ho who is the director south korean director who i love and i've seen all of his movies martin scorsese's the irishman and the safdie brothers movie uncut gems with adam sandler and there was so much hype, tons of good cri- critical buzz, and they're all great. They're all just fantastic movies. Oh wow! And I, I haven't heard
1: that much about Uncut Gems, but but it's good to know. <laughs>
0: Uncut Gems is great. You will like it. Yeah. It is about yeah. the diamond district. Uh, this like Jewish Adam Sandler play a middle aged Jewish guy in the diamond district who's a, like a gambler. Kevin Garnett gives what I think is it's- uncontroversially the best performance by an athlete in any movie he's, he's uh, just because
1: you're a Celtics fan um, do you think a Goy could have played uh, Adam Sandler's role and if not do you think there should be a separate category for the Jewiest uh, actors best okay. Jewy actor they don't have to be Jewish but he just, well yeah because some Jewish. Jews are not Jewy at all yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, I know I would have been real deeply offended if they had had somebody not Jewish playing
1: Adam, Adam Sandler <laughs> I role. mean it's uncut. <laughs> anyway. um, uncut I didn't think of that That's yeah, good there, there you go <laughs> all
0: right, so I got that out of the way <laughs> it's uh now I have one for the rest of them
1: wait so so none of those four movies made your top four? Or are you saying that this is one this is like this is not an honorable mention. this is one of your top four? So, or are you just cheating straight up like a it I', is I am a saying time. that
0: I did not put them on my list because I think most people know about uh, them most of our listeners have seen how many of those movies have you seen and I'm br- i have
1: seen uh, the the once upon a time in hollywood and what else little women what was it little, little women so, i haven't seen them. <laughs> i have i have not seen parasite i have not seen uncut Jams. what was the i the last irishman one? no and i have not seen the irishman that i wa- i keep wanting to watch the irishman and then i see the run time every time i see it on netflix and it's like th- it's like half a day I, I like, just is, don't. Is there like, half a day's worth of stuff to watch on
0: this? I, I, I this is the thing that frustrates me about not just you but most people. <laughs> it's like there is nothing better than watching that movie, and
1: I am saving it. I am saving it. I am edging. I am Scorsese edging myself for the right moment. Like I, like you know, I am busy. I don't know what you do with your life. Like I have shit going on left and right. Like I have just so much, so much. <laughs> no i don't know it's just fine it's hard to find three three and a half hours and i don't want to interrupt it right yeah well, but you can watch
0: it in two days. I think that's how I watch it. We watched it over Thanksgiving yeah. um, the whole
1: family watched it, and we were it's it's beautiful it's you you have that advantage where you like your daughter likes films, like my daughter won't Like, just won't watch movies with me. She just doesn't care. She's just like actually just watching TV shows. And so every time I want, like, I would love to sit down with my family and watch a good film, but, but like, they, you know, they won't do it. My daughter just doesn't, she doesn't care. And so I want to find things that that they'll watch. So I end up like totally just watching TV shows as a, as a sacrifice to the, to the sanctity of my family unit.
0: (laughs) Well, if you, if you ever have another kid, you have to start young with them that's what <laughs> yeah, my that's mom true. did with me and that's what i've done with eliza and you build it into their just their yeah the the core of their being and you know eliza love <laughs> eliza has seen actually she hasn't seen uncut gems but she's seen all of the other ones in some cases multiple times and she loves and she loves them and that's you, you it is know a great, what i
1: i I will say I, I agree that you have to start early and i I will say that um, something that doesn't come off often is that I am a lover of of um, music in a way that I have shared with my daughter. So yes. so that's where we bond and um, like a you know, you sort of you, you you have to make you choices. You sort of just take what you can. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I'm a Philistine when it comes to music. Yeah, you really are. Yeah. And I don't push it on you. You know, you notice I don't I don't judge you. Don't.
0: Yeah. Well, I would I wish you could push it on me. <laughs> I wish you would push <laughs> Push stuff. Have you, I don't know uh, where that's going. All right, yeah. can you we ever start this? To Dave
1: Matthews. <laughs> yes, we can stop the segment. <laughs> Dave Matthews. Uh, all right. So that was uh, that was n- neither your number one nor anything no. else. But why don't you give us the? Do you want do you, or do you want me to go? Why don't you go first? Since I just didn't uh, give uh, any of well, it. I'll, I'll go. I'll go with um, uh, th- this is, again. This is not a, a movie or a TV show. Um, but it's related to a TV show. It is. It's just Baby Yoda. So, so oh <laughs> The God. Mandalorian. Uh, you could, if you were forcing me to put TV shows, like it's. It's not that it's the greatest TV show ever. It's that as a pop culture thing, the fact that good Star Wars actually came out on on TV as a medium, like that's actually. It's like y- you might actually like it. It's like a. It's a. It's like a western, but. It's like how Star Wars ought to be, and then baby Yoda is just so fucking cute, and it's um in he just turned into a me or or she or whatever gender yodas are and uh and every time I see just little baby Yoda's eyes, I just have warm fuzzies in my in my heart and uh and I'm glad that that baby Yoda exists and that there's some good star wars on on t v that is as pop culture as it gets
0: all right, so our number fours our respective number four is really. Kind of defines the difference between us. Yours <laughs> is Baby Yoda. <laughs> Mine is uh, a f- well, it's a French film. It's by a French director, oh, Claire Denis, uh, who's a big name with uh, hardcore cinephiles. This is actually the only movie of hers that I've seen, but it's called Hi- High Life. And it stars Robert Pattinson and also Juliette Binoche.
1: That's this is a popular culture pick. Yes, like this it's, is this it's is available pop on
0: Amazon Prime for free, and <laughs> it and it, it. and it's got a like a, a, a star, like a heartthrob. I don't know. Like I think he was on Twilight or something. Robert Pattinson, uh, oh, the the Twilight series. And he's been in a bunch—he was actually in a Safdie's Brothers movie called Good Time, um, yeah. which is great. But um, for this movie, the premise is pretty simple. It's like a space movie, and a group of prisoners are sent up to space as part of some sort of reproduction experiment. It's not exactly clear what the experiment is trying to to achieve, but they're trying to see the extent that people can reproduce in in space— and I guess it works to some What's extent. What's the name of the movie? High Life. High Life. Claire Denis. Um, when the movie starts, Robert Pattinson is just alone on the ship with his infant daughter. But then we get most of the movie are is this long extended flashbacks of the time on the ship with the other prisoners and also Juliette Binoche, who's in charge of the experiment. And it's a very surreal movie. It's beautiful filmmaking and it has one of the most fucked up masturbation scenes that you'll ever see in your life.
1: Um, Ooh, that's a good top five, uh, <laughs> like, uh, discussion the, there.
0: Best masturbation scenes?
1: Yeah. Yeah, or most fucked up masturbation Most fucked scenes. up, yeah. Be... This would
0: definitely... <laughs> it, it. So, Juliette Binoche goes into the fuck box. That's, <laughs> that's all I'll say about it, because... That, that's great. Um, and I probably said too much just then, but...
1: Um, Sounds hot. Uh, yes, yeah. it's
0: it's really good. Okay. I I recommend it. It is. I think if you, you have, aren't familiar with this director's work, it makes you want to pursue it more.
1: You've uh, cemented your status as superior and uh, hoity-toity. And when we discuss fraud. Uh, in, being a fraud in the next segment. <laughs> we'll get back to this. <laughs> um, I'm a man of the people, uh, yes, Tamler. Clearly, Baby um, Yoda.
0: Like <laughs> Baby
1: Yoda. Um, I will. I will. Uh, <laughs> Is your
0: next one Avengers: Endgame?
1: <laughs> no that was a close that was a that was in my four-way tie um fast no, and but, furious. but this may be, you know this maybe is would be considered art by you but um the Watchmen tv show mm-hmm. i think that is uh for for various reasons like this and i we didn't talk about this but this list to me isn't necessarily what i think is the best of the year Um, Although Watchmen would certainly be up there with the best of the year. But there is something about the the fact that they made a TV show about Watchmen that there were these interesting. Oh, and that it's Damon Lindelof as the showrunner um, who is who could have really fucked it up um, that it's based on source material by an author who really abhors the thought of anybody adapting his source material. And it brings up these interesting issues. Um, ethical issues and, you know, whatever, maybe even legal issues if you're into that kind of thing. But (laughs) but, if you're not into that, then then no, as a a legal file, as a legal file. So all of that sort of the, just the, the, the property of the Watchmen and and the things that it is, there was a actual DC comics did a run of sort of after the Watchmen, uh, like sequels. Um, in their comics that just were nothing compared to, to, I think what Lindelof did. His work is it's, it's people have described it best as just real devoted fan fiction. Um, it's, it's like truly the, the work of somebody who, who took the ideas and, and put their own spin on it. And there's just a lot of good political shit, uh, about like race relations in America that he weaved in there without the heavy handedness that I've seen on some shows that that, that sort of on-the-nose kind of bullshitty, like, like that. give a speech about equality or whatever. Like, he, he, it didn't go there. And so I love him for that.
0: Yeah. I, I, I am almost through. I'm about three-quarters of the way through the graphic novel, which you generously sent me. Oh, awesome. And when I'm done with that, I will... Watch the show. All right. My number three is another movie. It's a great movie here.
1: Wait. It's your number two. Wait. Are you including the four movies? Well, I, I'm starting number from one. four. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. It is another under-the-radar movie like High Life, but it's not as hoity-toity, I don't think. It is a movie called Under the Silver Lake by David Robert Mitchell. Um, this is also available for free on Amazon Prime. It barely got a theatrical release. You would like this. It is LA noir, trippy, oh. conspiracy kind of th- thriller, but it is a paranoid conspiracy thriller, that kind of genre. It, I like it already. It stars Andrew Garfield, not James Garfield. Andrew <laughs> Garfield, and it's a it's a, it's a cross between like the Long Goodbye, Chinatown, Mulholland Drive, The Big Lebowski, with a with some Eyes Wide Shut in there too. The kind of the conspiracy part of it and how yeah. how far up it goes, and it has deliberate homages to all those movies. It's just fun to watch. It's 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 long, so you have to carve out some time. I know. Uh, that might be a barrier for you. But it's, it's funny. It's weird. And I think you could go down rabbit holes trying to piece the mystery together, and I think there is a big Reddit community already building about it. But you don't have to do that at all to appreciate the movie. It's fun. It's definitely, I think, one where you might want to take like an edible... If you have them available, <laughs> and it will be even greater. There's a scene in it and involves music that I think you will really like a lot. Oh, nice. I could see you become. I could see you really finding that scene to be one of your favorite scenes of all time. It's just a, totally enjoyable at every level to watch.
1: Cool. Andrew Garfield, by the way, underrated Spider-Man. He did a good job. This
0: I the only Spider-Man that I really know is the one from. Uh, uh
1: spider the, the 60s tv shows when you were a kid <laughs> no oh, the electric yeah. company no i
0: really liked uh spider verse that one yeah that was just good. Yeah, was
1: fucking awesome let's take a quick break and thank hello fresh for sponsoring this episode of very bad wizards get mouth-watering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with hello fresh HelloFresh has some pretty delicious recipes. They have a bunch of vegetarian recipes that I've been getting delivered every week. And I actually have, I think, been eating better. You can get low-cal recipes. They save time and stress. And I'll tell you now, it's not... (laughs) Like, I still take a long time to make my HelloFreshes. Long, considering how much time I want. Um, But what it does save is... Grocery store shopping. Yes. Which I actually hate. I I, I just don't like it. And that getting the recipes with all of the food ingredients delivered to your door. um, And if it takes 30, 40, 50 minutes to cook it, I am fine with that. Yeah. When I go to the store, I, there's like two
0: types of me in the store. One I'm listening to a podcast and I'm not really focused, so I could take like an hour and a half in the st- in the store just kind of wandering <laughs> down horrible. each aisle like three or four times and just spacing out. <laughs> and then there's the where I go and it's I'm all business and I'm focused, but then I still miss like half the things on my list. So I love <laughs> that HelloFresh just takes takes that out of the 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 weekend chores. HelloFresh is flexible and it fits your lifestyle. Um, you can add extra meals or lunches to your weekly order. I didn't know that. Or throw in yummy sides and desserts like garlic bread and cookie dough. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. Um, HelloFresh is now starting from $5.66 per serving that makes it America's best value meal kit.
1: You know, that part about skipping meals, I was away for two weeks and all I did was go to the app and um, just click X on the two dates that I was going to be away. And when I came back, it just resumed uh, the delivery as, as normal. So, so it was actually really convenient. So thank you to HelloFresh. Go if you want to get the discount that they are offering listeners of Very Bad Wizards. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Wizards 10 and use code Wizards 10 during HelloFresh's New Year's sale for 10 free meals, including shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Very Bad Wizards ten and use code VeryBadWizards ten to get ten free meals. We'd like to thank HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. All right. So um, here here I go with my nebulous um, my nebulous uh, items in this list because it's neither a film nor a uh, nor a TV show. Not even a moment really. Um it is just sort of some people have uh, referred to it as a, a renaissance for this, for this actor, but just the success of Keanu Reeves and the embracing of love that the internet has given him. It is, uh, was one of my favorite things of the year. I don't know if you've noticed all of the internet love, like the, the way that eyebrows read it, you know, there is a, a serious fan devotion to this man. Um, that clearly uh, uh, supersedes any of the actual praise he should deserve as an actor. Because, like, let's let's be honest, I mean, he is Keanu Reeves in, in everything. Uh, but John Wick 3, the John Wick series is great. Um, he actually... Uh, so wait, so I, I, I'm not are, sure I'm following
0: this. You are saying that your number 3 or number 2 or whatever is the yeah. love that Keanu Reeves is getting in... On the internet, on Reddit it's, or whatever,
1: it's hard. It's hard to describe because you know, as a more abstract thinker than you, this is not a, a, a singular product. But if you just Google for Keanu Reeves, um, uh, so you'll see there's just a in incredible this year, just an incredible outpouring of admiration for Keanu that has led to. Uh, in, you know, articles and memes and stories being written about him because he's such a, for one, he's such a good guy. So I'm just giving you some examples. Uh, we've entered the golden age of Keanu Reeves, the Renaissance of Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is too good for this world from the New Yorker. Uh, cool things you probably didn't know about Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves wins the internet. There is, uh, he's, he's getting, I think, love, in part because he seems to be such a good person. So there are all these stories of, of moments in which Keanu has gone out of his way to help complete strangers who had no idea that, that it was Keanu. He'll just like, you know, pull up in his motorcycle and help out a motorist who is stuck. Um, and and the way that, that this just sort of the Keanu uh, love hit, hit the internet in 2019 is just made for for warm fuzzies for me like all of the stories that you read about him on the internet what one of the things that he even like just does that's just shows that what a good guy he is is like when he takes pictures with women he clearly like goes out of his way not to be touching them like he'll show show his hands like he's he's just like being very respectful so so yeah it's it's just the Keanu uh, renaissance this is this is uh pop culture. Certainly, certainly pop culture. Um in a way that maybe <laughs> French films aren't.
0: I, I like I don't even know what to say to that one. I I I'll just move on. That's uh
1: Uh you don't like Keanu, is what I, you're
0: saying. I like him fine, I guess. Like I like He's... John Wick, but um you know, in a year oh. where it was the best movie year in the last ten or fifteen years, I wouldn't put like internet love for Keanu Reeves as one of uh, my four favorite things from
1: it. Uh, well, see now you're trying to make the list for me, which is not what this is all about. No, this, this is, is uh, you're you're the movie guy. So we know you're the movie guy. Let me be the internet guy. <laughs> all right, you're the internet guy. Enjoy <laughs> your your French films are as puzzling as my Keanu Renaissance pick. <laughs> all right,
0: well I have a good number two to. Uh, we'll see. You. We'll see about that. That, that t- bad taste out of uh, the listeners' mouths. Uh, uh, no. I'm sure they. I'm like sure it. this is great. This is. It's a contrast. You know. It's like this is good radio. Uh, this is perfect. <laughs> uh, it is Midsommar, the movie, kind of horror movie, but also a breakup movie by the director Ari Aster, who did um, Hereditary. Last year, this is great. Holy shit, I love this movie. I, we just saw it again um, last night, and it's a great rewatch too. Um, it is about a young woman, Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh, also in Little Women, um, she's going to be a big star. Like you can tell from this movie that she's going to be a big star. Like so she's a, in like a bad a relationship. She tags along with her boyfriend's grad student friends and her boyfriend on a, they're like grad students in anthropology and they're going on a trip to a remote village in Sweden. Um, uh, I'm not going to give any of the plot. The less you know about this movie, the better. So, I'm not going to talk about the plot at all. I am just going to say that it's genuinely scary. It is ridiculously well made.
1: You know, I avoid it because I I like tend to avoid uh things that are horror movies. Like I d- like don't usually like them unless somebody says that they're awesome. Watch so. this with Nikki.
0: I think you'll yeah. like it. It's also very funny. And it and and it has probably the funniest and definitely uh, another fucked up the but it's an actual (laughs) sex scene not a masturbation scene but it is uh yeah in my the only
1: person masturbating was you (laughs)
0: no definitely not and if you (laughs) had seen if you saw it you wouldn't like you would see why that's clearly not the case i i, I saw it for the first time in the theater with my daughter which is already uncomfortable um if if you've well, seen it masturbation would be really <laughs> and then i said to her apparently she told me this when we watched it again this is what sex is really like um <laughs> during the scene in the uh, when we watched it the first time and uh again if you haven't seen it <laughs> Uh, but if you if you have seen it you will i i, I think <laughs> think that 's pretty funny. I was proud of myself for having said that anyway uh Midsommar, it's great, it's funny, it's scary, it's just, it 's great it 's funny it 's scary it 's just it's even though i think it got a bit of a release, it is an underrated movie from last year all
1: right my final in my list of disappointments to you is <laughs> uh, is the the Revenge of the Joker film. So we talked about the Joker film and, and all of the fucking like stupid shit that was written about it. Yeah. Um, My, what was so deeply satisfying to me is that, that it became the, the first R rated film to pass, surpass a billion dollars in, in revenue. Um, And then even though this isn't officially part of 2019, Joaquin Phoenix getting, getting love from the Academy just to me I mean, took the something joker as a whole getting love for the, the joker as a whole getting getting a ton of love so um, what i think is one of the best comic book films uh, to be made um got the the love that it it justly deserved and more importantly my optimism and my my sort of uh, happiness that 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 batch of stupid critics do not, in fact, speak for the majority of people. Not that I thought that they did, but this was a clear fuck you to all of the the naysayers. It's just a good movie. So this is going
0: to disappoint you, but I did see it recently, and yes. I was underwhelmed by it, and, and, and in a weird way. Not, I didn't think it was obviously. I didn't think it was a rallying cry for incels, or I thought he was really good. Um, but a little, I, 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 a little inconsistent, like, it was, it was never fully, it was very hard to pin down what the, what kind of character he was, and, and, and I get that that's part of the Joker, or Joker's allure. I, I, I just, I don't even know, I, I, I was like, really? This is the thing that, A, people were so angry about, and, be that has made a billion dollars worldwide i mean in some ways it's kind of amazing because it's just a movie about a really mentally ill guy living in a world that doesn't care about him
1: Uh, yeah so so i mean it's it's i think not entirely unfair to to be underwhelmed given the amount of attention that it got but also it's portrayal of of a particular incarnation of a comic book joker i think was was great and i I think if you don't if you're not looking for that then it's obviously not gonna float your boat that much but i'm i'm intrigued by the inconsistency that you think of of joaquin phoenix's performance Um,
0: because he like there were times where he just seemed like he was so damaged that he could barely put a sentence together, and other time, and then like thirty seconds later, he'll be kind of slick and almost. Now maybe that's there's a there's definitely a lot that you could think is going on in his mind. It's very yeah. much told from his perspective, but even that like, is not. If if it's told from his perspective, then the part the times where he seems so damaged and unable to have even a remotely normal conversation with another person. The, the, I don't know, the juxtaposition between that and I, I, I forget the actual scene, but I was like, wait, how did he just go from that to,
1: oh, this is kind of a slick guy who knows what to say and... Yeah. I, like, I don't know what scene you're talking about, but I think that, that there is a lot that's supposed to be, well, there's one clear set of interactions that's, that's like yeah. in his own mind. Um, but I never saw, I don't know what you're referring to as the the parts where he can't even
0: speak. I I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't have a strong opinion about it. I thought, like, I thought it, he was, he was great for the most part, physically kind of amazing performance. And right.
1: Well, this is what, like, I want to emphasize that also my my pick, again, in my more nebulous uh, category, is not because I think it's the best movie of the year, right. but rather just the, like, the re- resolution of all of that, like, fizzled into both nothing politically and in, in, in that sense of controversy, but also just, I was happy for the filmmaker.
0: Yeah, and now, yeah. even the people who don't love the movie... Take steps to distance them themselves from. Like, <laughs> from those, they're yeah. like, I. It's not that I don't like it because it's uh, right. like a, a incel propaganda. It is because you know, and it's a score's kind of poor Scorsese ripoff or whatever.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I also think I had very like uh, I was very concerned that it was going to be a terrible movie. So so when I saw it, I was I was like happy that it wasn't yeah no Um, it's
0: definitely not terrible like it's it's good i would even say good like almost good kind of feeling from it like and i wanted it to be better but yeah i'm I'm happy for sure that like i'm totally on board that that whole controversy this is also true i think of once upon a time in hollywood like whatever annoying controversies there were well actually i'm gonna save what i have to say all right we gotta go let's 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 move so my number one whole episode all right last year uh, i haven't done any t it's been all movies but um it was also a good year for tv and one of my three favorite tv shows along with fleabag like everybody else everyone loved that and so did i super good that almost made my list and uh dark uh obviously but there was a sh- show by a guy named Sam Esmail, which gave us just <laughs> a fantastic season of television. Do you know what show I'm
1: talking about? Um, well, like Unless you're not talking about Mr. Robot. Are you not talking about Mr. Robot? I'm not. Yeah, I know he had that other show. Uh, Homecoming. No, I haven't seen it. Good, <laughs> Really? You're putting that above Mr. Robot? Y- uh,
0: yes and i don 't like, like it 's not even that hard a decision because I, really? I loved yeah. homecoming, and i didn't have i, I didn 't have the ambivalence that I felt about the last season of Mr. Robot, even though I overall liked it, and we 're not going to talk about like maybe at some other point we 'll talk about the finale and what we think of it. but this show homecoming it is stars Julia Roberts, Stefan James, Bobby Cannaval, who I missed from Mr. Robot and uh, Shea Wiggum. It's like another kind of conspiracy thriller, and it's based on a podcast. Where's our fucking TV
1: show directed by Sam Esmail? You know? We're working on it. <laughs> 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 Clearly. I mean, we must be on his radar. It's I, t- things take time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway,
0: the podcast and also the show um, was created. Sam Esmail directed all the episodes, and it's it's, it's. Brilliantly directed, uh, but it was created by Micah Bloomberg and Eli Horowitz. Eli Horowitz, who, by the way, edited the first Very Bad Wizard book of interviews when he worked for McSweeney's.
1: So you you have an in, Shazam Esme.
0: Except that we didn't, like, we ended up like, <laughs> uh, not agreeing on edits, and I think he probably <laughs> hates me.
1: You've burned bridges? Yes. Uh, It really is is amazing that we have like an eight-year podcast relationship. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: but it's a testament to the quality of the show that I still will put it as uh, one of my four (laughs) favorite things. It's also half an hour. You will like that aspect of it. It's like the anti-Irishman. Each episode is half an hour. (laughs) I think there's eight or ten of them. So you can be done with them really quick. It's a fun show. And it is—it's oh, got like all the good Sam Smail directing touches.
1: I'm not a huge fan of Julie Roberts, but I'll put up
0: with her. She's good in this, and um, like you yeah. won't have a problem with her in this.
1: Good. Um, all right. The all thing right. So you the things we hate.
0: One thing. Yeah, I only have one thing that I like because that's what we were
1: supposed to do. <laughs> the
0: nerd the chutzpah of that i understand (laughs)
1: uh i have one thing that i hated um that that uh again isn't a tv show or movie but it's a a a thing and it's I, i don't know if you'll understand the the uh feelings that this caused me but um kanye west decided to go christian and put out this like gospel album and tell the world about Jesus, and for so many reasons, uh, some of which are not just—it's not Kanye's fault. I think that the world is is somehow um, uh, just observing a man in in the midst of mental illness and and still playing along with it. But his—are we still his talking about Joker? album? it's no but he might as well i i don't know i i don't even have that much to say about it but that that he in like from one week to another was like talking about you know fucking supermodels with bleach assholes and and then talking about how he's changed as a christian and then putting out a gospel album is just sad to me and it's just if it's if it's a play for for uh album sales it's sad if it's genuine it's sad it's a train wreck I, like i feel bad for the guy but it's just it's, he's such a otherwise uh and it's controversial but I, I don't think anybody who who's a fan of hip-hop music would argue with the fact that he is one of the greatest hip-hop producers of all time it's sad to see him go this way like i wish he would just shut up and just get help <laughs> go back to the bleached assholes Go back to the, at least from the pre-bleached asshole's part. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like that.
0: Uh, All right. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. All right. Here's the thing I hated. So this thing managed to combine two seemingly unrelated things that I deeply dislike. (laughs) Yeah. The first is critics who force their political agenda into their analyses of art. So we talked about this in the context of Joker. So that's the first thing. The second is the utterly inappropriate use of data. Or empirical investigation to assess something way too complex and messy for that data to tell us anything real. So both these things um. came, like had sex and had a baby, and that baby was this Time magazine article. We counted every line in every Quentin Tarantino film to see how often women talk.
1: Oh. So this was back. in oh, I didn't even know about this. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: it is this one is... of the more annoying things. I that you know from the last ten years, from the decade. This <laughs> yeah. this would be the most like annoying thing of the decade possibly. <laughs> uh, uh, from pop and culture, you,
1: you don't think that can be counted, is what you're saying? Because. <laughs>
0: The reason this exists is there was that period in the summer where there were a small minority of critics, including Richard Brody, again, complaining about Quentin Tarantino's misogyny or sexism and then a bunch of other people saying, look, this is a guy who's... And there's not many filmmakers like this, or not many male film- filmmakers like this, who who's done a bunch of movies with very strong female central characters. And so... They decided to count every line in every Quentin Tarantino film to see like what well, 's the ratio of women to men talking in his movies. Um, they decided to just count the lines and like not they, even
1: like, not even controlling for a number of characters or anything like that yeah no, no. Uh,
0: no. and in fact, they left off death proof because that 's like almost entirely women talking. They left it off at first with the excuse that. Well, you know that's that was just a half a movie, along with Robert Rodriguez's uh, uh, from Grindhouse. But yeah, and then one of the authors tweeted how, and he was like proud about it. How pissed off people in the theater were to see him using his cell phone to write down li- the lines in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it was only at oh, the movie theater. I would have lost, I would have lost my fucking mind. Not alone. Oh my God! <laughs> I, I, if that had been, like, if I had been in that movie, and this guy. Oh my God! Uh, to the larger uh, film world's credit, it, the article was roundly mocked and condemned, even by critics that some people would call kind of woke. So it's not. This wasn't like something that uh, people celebrated, aside from some, you know, like Twitter people. But it was the thing i hated in pop culture the most last year um
1: i will i will go on a limb and agree with you about how that's at least i don't think that it's unquantifiable like the to to make a claim of misogyny but like that's such a shitty way (laughs) to do it (laughs) That's just terrible that's like uh that's that's like the most Uh, I don't know, the most basic in in all the negative senses of that term (laughs) way to attack a problem. What were the numbers, by the way? I I I don't have them. But in
0: Jackie Brown, for example, apparently men talk more than women. But if anybody who's a Jackie Brown fan will know that that movie is centrally about um, Pam Greer and and has also just a, an awesome performance by Bridget
1: Fonda and that's that's a De Niro performance I can get behind. oh man he's <laughs> so good at that and it's, it's not <laughs> a pothead.
0: It's, it's not that obvious like how good he is the first time you see it but every uh, <laughs> well it's because talent.
1: it looks like he could be actually doing a terrible job <laughs> right. it looks like it could be a really poor performance from an amateur actor <laughs> Totally, <laughs> but you know, I'll put this like uh, like on on my mom. Like that, the De Niro and Pacino often get lumped together because obviously because they've been in very similar movies and had a. Um, there is no way Pacino could ever no. pull off any performance like that.
0: <laughs> uh, absolutely, that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> All right, longest segment ever.
0: All right, we'll be back uh, to <laughs> talk about David Foster Wallace's story. Good old neon.
1: This episode of Very Bad Wizards is also brought to you by GiveWell.org. Again, as we always say, one of our favorite sponsors because they just do so much good in the world. So, Tamara, last night we had frenemy of the podcast, uh, Sean Nichols, the philosopher, and his girlfriend, Rachana, also a philosopher, over to dinner last night and... Nikki, also a philosopher, and the four of us got into an argument. And the argument was about how best to communicate to another person that they should be donating their money to an effective cause. Do you really say like, uh, well, I'm sorry, buddy, but your money could be better used for another charity. So we actually got kind of into a heated argument uh, about that. But what, what none of us disagreed about was that it would be the right thing to do to go out of your way to find the most effective charity to give your money to. And this is one of the reasons that I like doing GiveWell ads, because I think this is a great forum to just say, hey, look, you can donate to whomever you want, give money to whomever you want. But if you have that extra money, maybe give some of it to one of the more effective charities.
0: I think that is my, my approach to, to GiveWell is I like it, I use it, I have donated it now a couple of times um, doesn't mean it's I will won't give money to other things which I know isn't doing necessarily the greatest good for the greatest number but I love having uh, an option where I can do that because clearly some of my charitable giving should be towards the most effective way of reducing suffering.
1: Right. And like, like we've said before, I think that's a no-brainer. And, and I think Give Well has noticed that this is a good, effective way of communicating um, to people that donating some of your charitable uh, money to an effective cause is a good thing because They've asked us to give our listeners a thank you. This past season, podcast listeners like the ones here at Very Bad Wizards gave over $500,000 to GiveWell's recommended charities. And so GiveWell wanted to thank all of you for helping to support some of the most effective charities in the world. GiveWell spends more than 10,000 hours each year with their spreadsheet nerds searching for outstanding charities. But it only matters at the end of the day if we can get donors like you to act on that information. So GiveWell greatly appreciates your support of effective, evidence-backed charities. These these are the kinds of charities that are used to distribute things like malaria treatments, insecticide-treated bed nets, or vitamin A supplements, programs that can save a life for every few thousand dollars donated. So we're here again to thank you and to make another call for you to find it in your heart to continue, now that the holidays are gone, to continue giving. Find out more about how good your donation can do. Go to GiveWell.org. There you'll find all of GiveWell's research for free, as well as a short list of the most effective charities they found. You can donate directly through their website, and they charge no fees, And take no cut. And we'll have a link um, on our show notes for you to go straight from our program to their website. So thank you to givewell.org for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the podcast where we take a moment to tell you how much we appreciate your support, um, to thank you all for all of the ways in which you keep us going. Um, We appreciate the emails, the messages, the uh, discussions that you have on Reddit, the tweets, um, even in some cases, the Instagram comments now, getting more of those. Um, so thank you for taking the time to write. Thank you for, uh, going out of your way to let us know what you think. And in fact, um, you saw this, uh, Tamler, just, just recently we had a listener email us, tell us that they had gone back to school wholly in part, like entirely a hundred percent because of a very bad wizards episode that we did, uh, back in the day, The grad school N- not episode, really, right. The grad school, not yeah.
0: holy, but in, uh, <laughs> not not at all holy, slightly, but that, that it inspired. played
1: that it played any uh, any bit of a role. Um, as I emailed back, to, uh, really just made me uh, I don't know. You know, it s- sometimes you ponder whether or not all of the time and effort is worth it, and you get an email like that, and it actually makes uh, makes one very happy. Um, and so, so we really appreciate. Uh, all of your communication. It doesn't have to be that nice. Um you can curse at us and tell us that we're wrong. Troll me on uh, Reddit. You can <laughs> troll on Reddit. And and again, you can troll us on Instagram. Yeah. It's a, yet another venue. Um but but we really we really do appreciate um everything. Uh, every way in which you guys interact with us. And we encourage you to do more. We can't read all of the emails. I wish there were a way of like clicking a, a like on your emails to let you know that we had seen it. But but I assure you that we, have, we see your emails and it really means a lot to us. Yes. If you do want to get a uh, hold of us, You can email us, verybadwizards, at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at at verybadwizards or at Tamler and at Peas. You can go to our Instagram page, which is just verybadwizards, and uh, talk to us there. Or you can join our discussion on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash verybadwizards. It's not really our discussion. It's more their discussion it's not yeah. it's not in fact that's what i love about the reddit it's like yeah. <laughs> i don't have to it's a, like, i don't have to do we don't have to do like anything. They, so they're just surprised that we show up sometimes yeah. um yeah. but but yeah
0: and if you would like to support us in more tangible ways you can give us a one-time donation on paypal and you can become one of our beloved patreon supporters i saw that we now have over 1450 patreon supporters which just blows me away oh wow i am that's great it's it's amazing and it means so much uh it keeps the lights on
1: actually can i just interject here and say that that's one of the reasons that uh you might actually be sounding better uh today uh, we got a microphone boom arm for, for Tamler, so he can keep that mic straight in his face the whole and time.
0: And my back right now already feels so much better too. I, uh, I, I can't believe that I've gone this long without this thing. It seems it's awesome. I love it.
1: So well, that's why. That's why you're a hunchback. <laughs> I know. You I, did, I
0: didn't need to be a hunchback all these years. <laughs> seven years of doing it with that stand. And, shame,
1: uh, being mocked in the streets,
0: having things thrown at me. and... Uh, so, um, hopefully this tragedy will turn into a comedy. Yes, you can go to our Patreon page. We have different levels of support. We do bonus episodes. You, have, you get volumes of Dave's Beats. There are already four of those available. There are a bunch of bonus episodes available. And um, you can also, at one level, vote on a topic that we will choose Uh, for a listener-selected or a patron-selected episode. This was definitely one that, although it didn't win, um, it was suggested and was a close second, this David Foster Wallace episode. And, you know, even just getting ideas about what, Story or essay to to do the episode on that all came from Twitter and from Instagram and so all the the ways in which you interact with us is indispensable it is crucial for the show and it makes us better and we couldn't be more grateful so thank you
1: alright so as Tumblr said this was we've had people asking us to do a David Foster Wallace for a while um and as we mentioned sort of in the beginning uh maybe it's just a bit outside of our comfort zone because neither of us had read very much David Foster Wallace but i liked i had liked what i read and the voice the voice of the listeners was strong and so um we we decided to bite the bullet and and go ahead and do a story um so this is all to say please we apologize if we butcher, if there's some sort of standard interpretation of David Foster Wallace that we have no idea about, then, uh, then we're just ignorant. So yeah, Good Old Neon is the story that we are going to discuss today. So Good Old Neon is uh, a short story. It was originally published in 2001 in a journal uh, called Conjunctions, but then it got collected into a set of short stories for a collection called Oblivion. Um, and I, I think my understanding is that many have argued this story, Good Old Neon, is is not just the best of the bunch of stories in Oblivion, um, but also one of his best short stories, or at least most powerful or impactful uh, short stories. And that may be in part because of what it's about, which we'll get to in a second. But in a nutshell, the story is told uh, from the perspective of a guy named Neil. He's a 29-year-old yuppie. I don't even know if we use that term still. Yuppie. Young urban professional. Yeah who is uh, it's stream of stream of consciousness. Uh, he is telling us about uh, his life. He, he's in, he's currently in therapy um, and he is dis- Yeah. He, he's telling us
0: from the perspective of having already killed himself. Right. Yeah.
1: He is. He has, uh, he keeps hinting to the, the fact that he's already dead. And um, the way that he's telling us about how he got there is essentially uh, a life story. It's it's meandering a bit, but I think on purpose. Um, uh, a story about how he considers himself, his life, uh, his personality, he considers himself a fraud. So to be completely inauthentic, he sees himself as... Uh, he can't let go of the idea that everything that he's done or said ever since he was a child, in fact, like the earliest story of him being um, just a, a toddler, uh, that everything was this sort of pathetic attempt at getting other people to like him or to think to think highly of him, that, that his primary motivation has been not to do things because he wants to do them, um, but slowly over time, just falling into only doing things for the sake of appearances. So he, he deeply suspects, well, he's convinced that he's a fraud. Um, and this leads to him taking his own life by uh, crashing his car. And the way in which we're told, we're, we're taken through his journey of, of, I don't know if there's a whole lot of insight, but at least attempts at gaining insight through the therapeutic process. And so we, the one other character that we learn anything uh, really deeply about is his therapist, who is sort of a middle-aged man who is, turns out, also dead with him. Um, and they've had conversations in the afterlife, but uh, but perhaps a mediocre therapist to him, um, who himself then dies of cancer. But who he's fond of. Uh... He's fond of. Yeah, it's a funny mix of fondness. I think it starts off as fondness and then al- al- almost gets to s- some sort of antipathy um, at times but and
0: also condescend yeah. like the fondness is kind of dripping with condescension but yeah and then it becomes I, 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 I didn't see antipathy as much as disappointment like he had, maybe had his hopes up that the therapist could help him understand something and then coming to realize or at least think that no the therapist couldn't help him
1: antipathy maybe isn't the right word because uh, one of the things that 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 seems to be true of this character is that his feelings for people or at least the way that he reports them aren't strong either way yeah so so it's not that he hates his therapist it's that i think disappointed is the right word too but it's it's a it's a devoid of too much emotion it's just that like he had like the tiny bit of hope that this therapist would actually be able to to cure him of this thought that he was a fraud, um but realized quickly that that no, he was just stringing the therapist along, yeah uh, just in the same way that he strings everybody else along
0: yeah i don't, it's a hard story to know how to talk about um because it has a kind of a twist at the end that I think we're gonna talk a lot about yeah. um but I mean, the basic setup of this is a story told by a man who has already died by suicide in his car and who is aware that it sounds impossible that he could be narrating this story given that he's already dead. And it has this kind of Holden Caulfield, like Catcher in the Rye kind of style. Uh, where it really involves the reader and brings the reader in in a very conversational way. Uh,
1: yeah. And the theme of authenticity. Yeah. And
0: it has a lot of underground man kind of a lot style, of underground. Man. Uh, to yeah. That. And yeah, I don't know. Like, actually, let's start with the therapy. So I'm someone who has never been to therapy. I have not done that. I have you done in therapy. I don't know if we've ever talked about this.
1: Why am I? No, we've never talked about it, but I'm not surprised. Tamler, I'm not surprised. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Uh, So I did some. This is as this is as close to personal as I ever get. Um, Talking about my personal life. I did therapy for once i realized that my marriage was over like we had already decided to to end the marriage and so we basically went to couples therapy um in order to be able to to uh navigate the the split up in a way we we already had a a young infant daughter and that was very helpful and then i tried to go on my own and this is where (laughs) So a lot of this story, I really can't relate to. Like, I, and we can get to this the the way that he is, um, I like super self involved and I think pretty narcissistic. Um, but the part that he's not sure whether he is manipulating the therapist, yes, um, to have a particular view of him of Neil um, is something that I couldn't get out of my head either. That it felt like it might be a game where I was trying to get the therapist to believe things about me that i wanted them to believe even when they were bad things like uh like the the character neil does so like you know he he says that he would offer up like like false confessions to make himself sympathetic that kind of thing yeah um that so that i could relate to that was my uh, very limited experience with with only one uh therapist but but yeah yeah
0: so i was i was thinking that that seems like something that i would do like i i would have yeah. a hard time separating like me actually talking and me trying to create this impression in the therapist almost like a little cat and mouse game um, yeah
1: because it is it's built to the the therapeutic experiences so much of it is you decide what you're going to tell to this person that you you are from scratch building up uh, a of you of you that you are trying to give to the therapist and i i take that in good therapy you get past this but but it is very much like a situation that's made probably like specifically uh preys on this fear that you are that we are nothing that all of what we are is nothing but what we're trying to convince other people that we are
0: yeah and that's maybe the biggest theme in this whole story. And and I think, I don't know, I can relate to this to some extent, being trapped in your own head constantly to the point where you don't know what's real and what is a front and you can't yeah. separate who you are from who you're trying to appear to be to other people or the impression you're trying to make, which itself, the impression that you're trying to make is sort of constructed by popular culture or or drama or theater or fiction or whatever. And so you really have this sense of there's no actual me here. I feel this sometimes where, again, at a more micro scale, you do sometimes say things in a way that you know the person is going to be impressed like self deprecating remarks that you know are actually going to make right. the person find you more likable or something like that teaching is a bit like this
1: i was going to say yeah you know i mean there is a way in in which like and i i assume this is probably the case in a lot of uh, professions in which you have to interact with people on a on a regular basis but yeah you're clearly presenting some idea of yourself when you're teaching you're lecturing um and that persona like is it feels like a persona and then that can carry over when you're meeting with students right so like a large part of i often find it exhausting after a, a day of of teaching and then long meetings with students that i come home and i feel like i've been like playing the role of David Pizarro, professor of psychology. Um, and that now, like I can, sh- I can shed it a little bit. Right. But
0: at the same time, you, I, I also feel this kind of, I'm actually trying to be who I am at the same time, even while it, like I try to be real. I try to be who I am. Try I try to let my actual, what I think of as my actual personality shine through in the teach in the teaching and meeting with students. But, um, at the same time, I'm at also aware that it's creating an impression and I want to fine tune that impression sometimes. And then, yeah, I think th- it's that tension that can be exhausting, too. It's this 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 guy that's taking notes, that's giving you notes on how you're presenting yourself like you're giving a theatrical performance. And I think this is, you know, we're teachers, so there is that sort of built in audience. But I think this is true yeah. no matter what kind of job that you have, as long as
1: you work with other people. And this is not like this. And it's not um, it's not imposter syndrome that that he's describing. It's no. I think it's it's different and and in some ways just uh, uh, more pernicious. It's that it's not that he knows who he is and he thinks that who he is doesn't belong there. It's that he's not quite sure who who he is, if he is anything at all, because everything that he has done, he is coming to realize has been done solely for the sake of portraying whatever character he is trying to portray. And it gets, you know, and this is the part that that I, I enjoyed, that it gets meta, right? So he points out that that the problem with viewing yourself as a fraud is that, if you try harder to not be a fraud, then just that trying makes you feel like you're being even more of a fraud. Like, what does it mean to try to be authentic or try to be your true self? Like there's a point where he says like, you know, whatever that means, like like being, being your true self. So it's a, it's the kind of thinking that, um, can only lead to, or at least the way that it's presented here can only lead to further thoughts that you are not, an authentic person.
0: This kind of cycle that keeps building on itself. He calls this like the fraudulence paradox, I think. He yeah. said The more of a fraud you felt like, the harder you tried to convey an impression or likable image of yourself so that other people wouldn't find out what a hollow, fraudulent person you really were. Logically you would think that the moment a supposedly intelligent 19-year-old became aware of this paradox, he'd stop being a fraud and just settle for being himself, whatever that was, because he'd figured out that being a fraud was a vicious, in- infinite regress that ultimately resulted in being frightened, lo- lonely, a- alienated, etc. But then that's, this is definitely something where awareness of the problem not only doesn't make it better, but it makes it worse. Right. Before you get to the end, as you were reading it, neither of us knew anything about like how, like what the, the, the turn that it takes at the very end. Like, how did you like this character? What were you thinking about the story?
1: Yeah, good, good, good. I'm glad you asked because that's like all I've been wanting to say (laughs) this whole time, even as I was giving the summary, because I, um, again, not knowing, right. There's a turn at the end that changed this, but i i found this character to be insufferable like i actually thought you know there is a way you point to the the underground uh the the notes from the under the underground man his sort of obsessive focus on his his neuro his the levels of neurosis that that uh he has in that story um they're like this. This self. They're self. you know, this this character is self-involved, and it's very much his his obsessing over this idea that he's a fraud. But this is different. This this is not so much the the kind of neurosis um, that you see in Underground Man, but but uh, like a deep self-involvement that I found to be utterly just unlikable, and and all I could think was. Just like fucking don't stop thinking of yourself so much. Like there's no, like everybody is, you know, we're all playing a role. We play different roles for different people. That is who we are. Like there is like you alone, isn't any more you than you in front of your loved ones or, you know, in front of your kids or, or students. This just all is you like, and he knows, that you're, of, that. Like, he the, knows that you're thinking
0: that like that.
1: He knows you're thinking that. And so I didn't know much about David Foster Wallace's writing. So I was thinking to myself, like, Wait, this this is like this is taken as deep by by people like this is like this seems like actually, you know, even all his talk of logical paradoxes and putting things in in logic terms. It just reminded me of like the most annoying know-it-all like Dunning-Kruger-y undergrad who thinks he has it all figured out. Um, it's sophomoric it's, it almost seems like inside it is totally sophomoric and and there's a lot of like it's a long short story and yeah. and so a large part of this story is having to deal with somebody obsessing over their shitty self
0: yeah i mean i I don't know if i found him quite as unsympathetic and i thought the writing and the energy carries this part of the story, but he definitely, it it was starting to grate on me. And again, and the character is very aware that it's he's starting to grate <laughs> on you, and he 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 knows what you're what you think of him before you even think it, you know. And that's yeah. one of the frustrating aspects of his character. Very
1: self fulfilling. Yes, <laughs>
0: it's it's a and um, and I think all this stuff is it's it's in that sense I think kind of a brave story i think it has to be written by somebody who you have some trust in because you might just give it up like but uh because i think that is built so deeply into the the themes of the story is this idea that not only are you going to have this impression of this character but he knows you're going to have this impression and he's uh, one step ahead of you and he also knows that it's really annoying that he's always one step ahead of you like he was with the therapist. And right. you know, and it's like, why doesn't he just go volunteer for Habitat for Humanity or something? Like <laughs> yeah. get,
1: out, get outside of Get yourself. outside of
0: yourself for one fucking second. And and it is interesting yeah. that that's one thing that sort of never he never tries.
1: Um is No, that's right. So he well, it's it's unclear. Like he says uh he has a list of things that he ended up trying. Um so he says uh as disgusted with myself for always being such a fraud, but I couldn't seem to help it. Here are some of the various things I tried. EST, which I don't know what EST is. Um, riding a 10 speed to Nova Scotia and back. <laughs> <laughs> Hypnosis, cocaine, sacro-cervical chiropractic, joining a charismatic church, jogging, pro bono work for the ad council, meditation classes, the Mason's analysis, the landmark forum, the course in miracles, a right brain drawing bookshop, <laughs> uh, drawing workshop, celibacy, Collecting and restoring restoring vintage Corvettes, and trying to sleep with a different girl every night for two straight months, I racked up a total of thirty six for sixty one, and I also got chlamydia, which I told friends about, acting like I was embarrassed, but secretly expecting most of them to be impressed. Right,
0: um, and, and and everyone so, can relate to some of that, you know, like that
1: to the chlamydia, is <laughs> yeah, that the chlamydia, like-
0: <laughs> but like that, like kind of, I, I don't know, I was someone who in my it, it it's also like like i thought i was like how old was he when he wrote this it sounds like somebody in his 20s writing or something like that i yeah. i was hopping from phase to phase um uh, but but in that long list of things i guess aside from the pro bono there's not anything that isn't some sort of like self improvement or self like it it's some, it's yeah. all kind of magnetically focused on himself rather than the, the other people. And yet this is the very thing that plagues him. And, you know, at a, at a certain point he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't know how to love and that while at the same time being sickened by the cliche of it all, you know, not, be, right. not knowing how to love, that actually leads him to... Um, uh, take his own life when he sees a cheers episode of, that makes fun of that <laughs> but uh which is great but the it's not great that you know what i mean
1: so <laughs> you may maybe relate to him a little bit more like i i didn't have a youth that was characterized by a lot of that stuff and that's not not to say that i wasn't searching for who i was but i it's you know my my problems like feel different than the problems that he's describing and the 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 methods that he used to try to get around them i,
0: I guess know. the method like the i had that phase period of mm-hmm. my life
1: where i was into
0: kerouac and i was into you know traveling and drinking a lot i'd stayed with that stuck with that one um, and i and, and a little too focused on myself not enough focused on other people and a little pr- kind of proud of myself about certain things but and, and way too worried about what other people thought of me, and very aware of that, and trying to you know I was also trying to write novels and like I feel like i i obviously i'm not i was i'm not a one percent of the writer that he is, and this is like I was started to read it out loud this is a very well written story i I thought the the, the passage that I thought kind of summed up what his problem was is really perceptive and beautiful. And it's when he is writing the suicide note to his sister and he's already worried about how the suicide note will look to the sister, and he tries to, in the suicide note, tell his sister that he's aware that he's probably trying to make an impression on her. But there's this beautiful little passage in the middle that I caught on the reread. He says, When you consider, as I did sitting there at the breakfast nook, that the reason scenes like this will seem stale or manipulative to an audience— is that we've already seen so many of them in dramas. And yet, the reason we've seen so many of them in dramas is that the scenes really are dramatic and compelling and let people communicate very deep, complicated emotional realities that are almost impossible to articulate in any other way. And at the same time, still another facet or part of me realizing that from this perspective, my own basic problem was that At an early age, I'd somehow chosen to cast my lot with my life's drama's supposed audience instead of with the drama itself. And that seemed to me like to perfectly capture what it was that he's suffering from. He's always focused on the audience and the impression and not the actual drama that is occurring around him all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that that is, you know, he he reaches these moments of insight and that I think is is a nice one. Um and then he dips dip, dips back down into uh thinking of his audience again, which is a you know, it's it's a great way to describe this feeling because he's he's writing to us. So of course like so of course he's trying to put these thoughts in our mind. So the minute he has insight that he's sharing it seems that he can't help but now fall back on the fact that he shared that insight because he wanted us to think this was insightful of him. Yeah. He can't like he can't let it go. And and uh choosing to drive into a wall after taking a handful of Benadryl is the only way he can seem to let his self go. Um and and uh and that's the o- that's the resolution that he has to this this fraudulence paradox. He can't he can't pop out of this.
0: But let's take a quick break to talk about BetterHelp. Dave, what were we just saying? Neither of us have very much experience in therapy. I have exactly none. But were I to seek that out, BetterHelp offers a very convenient way to. Match up with a counselor online in a safe and private online environment. That makes it very convenient, especially for our listeners who might live in rural areas and have a hard time finding a therapist that they like and can meet conveniently face to face. With BetterHelp, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Licensed professional counselors are at BetterHelp who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. Anything you say is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across 50 states. And again, you you can do text, you can chat. Phone and video. Would you want to text with your therapist, Dave? You know,
1: I know know some people who do. You know, it's not for
0: me, but hey. There is financial aid available for those who who qualify. It's secure, convenient, and affordable. It is
1: not, however, a crisis line. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. And I want to emphasize that it's not, you know, there are various crisis lines that you should call if you're really feeling um, like something bad is going on and moreover tamler and i are not licensed professional psychologists i'm a psychologist but not that kind um so so I've been telling you my what problems we, forever yeah, i know I what know we that. said well when i was looking it up i was like relationships can can you and i go on on uh, better health together <laughs> we, we do, we, should, do, we, do yes. we have to pay <laughs> do we have to pay double <laughs> or can we just do that? <laughs> can you hop in the tech can it be a group tech podcast
0: couples <laughs> therapy that's what, that's what we need uh, <laughs> best of all, it is a truly affordable option and very bad wizards listeners will get 10% off your first month with discount code VBw. So go to betterhelp.com/vbw. Um, simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Once again, that's betterhelp.com/vbw. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode.
1: Uh, by the way, just as an aside, I'm certainly not the literary man that you are, but I wasn't struck at all that that the writing was, was brilliant. Um, it read to me like somebody trying to write like uh, somebody brilliant would there's a lot of really long sentences and a lot of, of uh, uh sentence structures that are trying to show off. So in in all sort of charitable interpreting of this because I think Foster Wallace was a good writer, I I can't help but think that he's trying to do this as part of the way in which he's communicating that this guy cares so much about what we think of him. Okay.
0: Now this so uh, we keep putting off discussing them (laughs) with. But I, I wanna say something about the writing, which is that I normally hate long sentences with a passion, and I find it very frustrating even in authors that I love. I I I had initially a reaction to to this um as 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 not a David Foster Wallace fanboy like oh god these these sentences are going on forever there's no rest this is a hotshot author trying to sh- like show you how virtuosic he can be but <laughs> but then I read it out loud so then I started reading it out loud just certain passages and when you read it out loud you get the rhythm of it and when you do that the rhythm of the sentences I don't know. Like, I stand by that this is a brilliantly written story. It it just requires that that you somehow get in touch with with the rhythm of these long, endless sentences. And I don't know. Like, but, I, I, mean, I see it's what a, you're it's saying. Not
1: just the length. What? Yeah, it's not just the length of the sentences right. that I'm saying. That was just an example. But but, of, but the of, asides
0: yeah. and the like. It, the it's it's like it's trying to impress you. And, and in that right. sense, that's intentional. But I don't think that he's trying to come across as a worse writer than he is. And I think that's a good bridge to the twist of it because in the twist of it, you find out that this guy probably isn't writing it, but a guy named David Wallace is writing it. Right. And uh, like I, we haven't talked about this, at all but right. how 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 we interpret this twist but at a certain, like late in the story as he's talking right about the as he's about to go into the actual moment of his death he uh mentions a man David Wallace who went to the same high school as him He says, David Wallace blinks in the midst of idly scanning class photos from his 1980 Aurora West high school yearbook, HS yearbook, and seeing my photo and trying through the tiny little keyhole of himself to imagine what all must have happened to lead up to my death and a, the fiery single car accident he'd read about in 1991. Like what sorts of pains or problems might have driven the guy to get in his electric blue Corvette and dry, and try to drive with all that OTC medication in his bloodstream. And then goes on to describe this David Wallace having this huge and totally unorganizable set of inner thoughts, feelings, memories and impressions of this little photo photo guy a year ahead of him in school with the see, and and this is how it ends is this David Wallace character you realize is trying to figure out what could have led this guy who was kind of the Chad of his high school uh, <laughs> right. take his own life in that way or at least that's that's right. one way of ending it, it ends with David Wallace not with Neil anymore yeah so how do you interpret that
1: I interpret it as – so one of the things that I think so that he mentions over and over again kind of hints at is this uh, – the notion of time as passing and as being at least uh, like passing in the colloquial sense in which we talk about past, present, future, um, being illusory and that uh, things th- things aren't like that, especially from his perspective in the afterlife. So he's talking about um, how you can get these – impressions that are almost instantaneous. And he tries to define what he means by instantaneous here. Um, Like insights or bits of information flowing through, through the human mind to take no time at all. And so he describes David Wallace blinking. And in that blink is the only time he's giving uh, David Wallace here to have this whole set of thoughts about reading about this car accident and realizing that this was a guy from his high school and uh, wondering and creating in his head um, an entire narrative about why this, as you say, this Chad, this seemingly successful guy, how he could have gotten to the point where he committed suicide. Um, and then David Wallace taking a step back and looking at his own life and his own struggles. And I, I read it as like a, a um, David, David Foster Wallace creating the David Wallace character and saying something like human beings are so incredibly hard to know. Um, we barely ever get like the smallest of windows into this huge, complex, rich inner life. Every one of us has this nearly infinite, infinitely rich inner life that we only present to each other in, in these ways in which we could, we, we couldn't possibly communicate every detail of the richness of our lives that is just like the human predicament we are we're we're living in this way where of course like of course maybe we think we're we're frauds like you tamler can't know all of the things that i am i i'm in charge of telling you what i am like i'm in charge of creating in you the thought of who i am but that is what seems to be weighing down on this neil character and so the way that i read it is david wallace in that moment of that blink Realizes that he himself has had this struggle and uh, at the very end where he says, and David Wallace having emerged from years of literally indescribable war against himself with quite a bit more firepower than he'd had at Aurora West, his high school, that he says, I'm not going to go out that way. Like, I I will deal with all of this in a different way, which, of course, in an even more meta sense is is a, a distressing thought. Since David, I don't know if we mentioned that David Foster Wallace took his own life.
0: Yeah, which is a very hard thing to separate from reading this story, yeah. and also sort of propelled, you know, the however frustrated you got with this character, it was it was definitely in the back of my mind as 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 very sad. I, I think I have a slightly slightly different take, so. There is this thing that I don't understand this time how how so much can be condensed into in in a mm-hmm. single moment and how time is to some extent illusory and um but the, the 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 impact that that ending had when I first read it was whoa wait a minute this isn't about What's his name? Not Chad. Yeah, this isn't about Neil at (laughs) all. (laughs) This isn't about Neil at all. This is about David Foster Wallace, and he, I mean, when when you actually think of who Neil was and the kind of person that he was, the the actual stream of consciousness writing sounds a lot more in the limited amount of of David Foster Wallace that I've read, it sounds a lot more like David Foster Wallace than it sounds like this guy. Um, yeah. And it, it it starts to seem like he just projected his own neuroses onto this guy who he barely knew, like, 20 years ago or 25 years ago. Yeah, And so it's... It, it doesn't... It, it didn't seem to me like this is somebody who tried honestly to engage with somebody else and try to understand their perspective because it's, it doesn't feel like he did beyond just, well, he had an older sister who David... F- Wallace seemed like he was kind right. of attracted to, and he was better than him in baseball and the, he,
1: the witchy right yeah,
0: and he was good with the ladies he barely he just takes those basic facts and then just says, "Well, what if I had that life kind
1: of you know yeah i like I actually don't disagree at all with you like i like that's you're you're describing a different part of 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 my thoughts about this like uh, where I was trying more to describe in that blink of an eye what he's thinking about what what must have gone through Neil's head but I 100% agree with you that the only thing that David Wallace the character in this story can do is project his own neuroses on Neil to figure out like well what would make me if I were him take his own life um and but you can't really do that. like you can't it, it, the only thing you can really do is try is try and project your own thoughts onto what somebody else would have been thinking in those moments. Even if it's totally um,
0: inappropriate, I, which it seems like it probably was in this case, you know.
1: Well, he makes him to be, that's why the turn is a, like, gave me a much better, yeah. uh, interpretation of the story because it seems as if there was a little bit of like, yeah, this guy was kind of a Chad or maybe I didn't like him, uh, that much. And, uh, like maybe even a thought that like, how's this guy taking for granted, like all of the shit that went his way. And like, here I am like barely, you know, striking out looking and uh right. dropping balls in right field and and he's the one who offs himself like shit like so so the way that he portrays him is maybe a mix of of uh w- what would drive me to kill myself and what would neil the kind of jerk from high school be thinking about like how self involved must he have been yeah
0: right but like and it's funny because i had this it's not funny it's sad but <laughs> when david foster wallace took his own life i remember thinking yeah uh, i may have even said this with uh matt knock when we had him on the show on suicide That like like here's a guy he had a great job uh perfect job mm-hmm. at P- uh pomona uh, he was considered to be one of the you know f- three or four best writers like living writers in the world by many people and he still did this. You know, I had that same thought that I think this David Wallace is supposedly having about uh, Neil, right? Like, it is this... um, Now, what I I didn't do is try to imagine how that would have gone down. But that's, I think, the difference between somebody who doesn't have suicidal ideations and somebody who does. It's like you... um, and, and, And I think this David Wallace first character does and clearly the author did um but i think that this is the deepest one of the deepest and most saddest aspects of the story is this idea that to have a real connection with other people to really understand where they're coming from and their perspective it's just it's not possible and the best we get is like copies of copies of copies so it's like a Plato thing where yeah. it's like and it's me all of that is mediated through all this fraudulence and bullshit and we're sort of trapped in our own perspective and we worry that there's no breaking out of that and and what david wallace is doing is barely even trying it seems like
1: um, well that's that's why I like I think that it was such a such a great turn, such a great yeah. little stroke there to say that, um, yeah, like David Wallace is hears about this guy,, uh, this guy killing himself, and it's not so much that he took days to obsess over why he must have done it, even though obviously. David Foster Wallace took like however long to obsess over writing this story he he says that it was in between the the dura- it was in the duration of a blink that he had yeah. all of these thoughts and so that's when you were saying that like you know when you heard uh, about David Foster Wallace like i remember having those same thoughts like you know in part it's it's a little close to home he's a he he was a professor who like seemingly had all of the things that we would want as a professor thing including things that not most professors could never have and in that brief moment when we formed that impression of what we thought David Foster Wallace must have been thinking uh David Wallace in the story is taking all of that like in in that moment fleshing it out like and and as neil is trying to say sometimes you have these like very rich You cannot describe it in linear time like these these thoughts all happening at once. It's just it's just the nature of our human limitations that we have to write it all out, which is why he's taking so long to say everything and why he's constantly apologizing, I think, for the meandering. He's all of this is happening in in literally just the blink of an eye.
0: Yeah, but now I I have not read much secondary literature on this we both came across you came across the abstract i came across an abstract uh and then just like a couple hours before read the paper so there are some people that think that this is david foster wallace you know so he's writing this story and right. it's almost like a heroic or courageous attempt to try to connect with somebody and try to understand what it must have felt like to be them and what this author argues, and this was definitely the sense I got, is that it's much darker than that, this story. It is about the impossibility of doing that and even trying. It doesn't seem like, in that blink of an eye, David Wallace even tried to imagine that. And, you know, one thing I didn't do is try to imagine what was going through David wallace's head david foster wallace's head when i heard about his death um i knew i had no idea that was one of the reasons we wanted to have matt on is to try to understand this uh what could what what causes people to do this and it seems like this david wallace just he does try to do that but in a way that's so transparently about him rather than about neil the guy and if you you, you get yeah. the sense that in the reality of this story that the character neil is just nothing like how he's portrayed in the first three quarters of the story just,
1: just well yeah we are we're it's undone our our impression of neil is undone as at least a realistic impression of him given that we find out that that it is david wallace's impression of him um but I think that's right. I think they're right. Th- this is not a, a masterful like uh, tale about connecting with somebody else's pain. It is this. This is the the one and the only reason I can think of for him to describe it as been having been in the blink of an eye. Like sure, he has to write down all of the words sequentially for us to understand it. But he's David Wallace in the story has literally given him a blink of time to like. Judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> like, yeah. he's basically, like, created that. And, and so while, of course, he has to to make this a lengthy story, I think take it, we're supposed to be understanding that it wasn't... The effort of David Wallace in the story was not the effort of David Foster Wallace in writing the story.
0: <laughs> but I don't even... But I think the effort of David Foster Wallace is also not supposed to be something that we are supposed to applaud as a triumph of... Connecting with uh, with yeah. somebody else because it just sounds like David Foster Wallace to you know uh, and 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 his own neuroses and you know you can see the the optimism that I think some people get out of this story is in that last little bit, right? The real or more enduring and sentimental part of him commanding that other part to be silent as if looking at levelly in the eye and saying almost aloud, not another word Like he's trying to quiet. Now this David Wallace is trying to quiet the voice in his own head. And the other thing I read today again was the, this is water commencement speech. And that is it's very much just about that. Right. It's about quieting the voice in your own head so you can take in what's around you so you can take in what's outside yourself. And this story has a lot of that, too, of these moments that Neil is grasping for where his personality, his self is almost obliterated because he's actually focused on the world outside of him. That does seem to me the sense I get of David Foster Wallace is that he was a person trapped in his own head to a greater extent than most people are, even though I think all of us are to a large extent. But desperately wanting to not be that way, I, you know. There's a very there's a very almost Buddhist sense of I want to actually be the world and be aware of the world and. And connect with that world and less with my own running monologue in my head. But I can't. And that's the tragedy of it.
1: And, and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, I love the part where he, he tries meditation and he finds that he's so good at it because he's just trying to impress the, (laughs) the like meditation teacher. And that the meditation (laughs) teacher
0: saw through him.
1: Yeah, he's like convinced that the meditation teacher saw, completely saw through. <laughs> Which is probably and all not. the praise true. was just like, mo- yeah, exactly. He's mocking. Yeah, the the image that I get, and like just to clarify, it's not that I think that David Wallace, David Foster Wallace, taking a long time to write down this story means that he was empathizing. Right, right. I agree that he's not empathizing. It's just that he's describing David Wallace as having this impression in the blink of an eye, and he's writing down the impression in this very literary way. Um, and it's funny because he says, uh, again, not funny, the real or more enduring and sentimental part of him commanding that other part to be silent as if looking at levelly in the eye and saying almost aloud, not another word. Because that's the only way to get out of of this this regress of focusing on your inner thoughts. Is It is him trying to quell that you know yeah i have an image of 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 you know, like flushing an insect down a toilet bowl like how they keep trying and trying and trying to get to get out of that toilet bowl and and uh the neil as described by david wallace doesn't seem to even know how to do it right he just it's he's getting further and further and every time he reaches for that branch to try to pull himself out Um, He's quickly reminded that his reaching for the branch has some sort of meaning about how he wants to appear to himself and he can't see out of it. And so to end it with not another word is is, I think, at least what David Foster Wallace might have wanted to be uh, a a hopeful and optimistic interpretation, at least about his own struggle, even though he was probably being a to Neil.
0: Yeah, it is about his own struggle and. How you read the ending as either optimistic or pessimistic is... And and obviously it can be a little bit of both. Um, right. But I take... I guess I get more of a pessimistic sense of it in the sense that it seems like this character didn't try to get outside of himself. I, I take it as much more just about the impossibility of doing that. um, And while at the same time that yearning, which I associate with David Foster Wallace, the real person, the author, for just being like a good person that can connect with other people in a very minimal way and that doesn't expect too much out of that and that just appreciates the beauty of life, but... find so many obstacles in the way between him and the appreciation of it
1: yeah it's it's interesting because in his um like i think that the the uh the the meta point that we cannot ever know another person um is is like one clear clear point the other the the other point is that in his shitty attempt at knowing who Neil was that, that takes the blink of an eye, he then outlines like this total, he's trying really hard to describe an internal struggle that, that, um, that might be right in that last sentence, he says, and David Wallace having emerged from years of literally indescribable war against himself, um, which I don't think is, uh, you know, I think it's very, very purposeful to say literally indescribable war. Um, where he's he's you could take this story as being dave foster wallace reaching that like trying to to reach for that branch when he's swirling down the toilet bowl and and maybe thinking that that at least for today when he says when he's can silence that part of his head he can say not another word today Uh, but it's
0: his own struggle right like this is a very david foster wallace style struggle like neil to you know like if i had like i don't know like maybe neil drove into a wall because he had embezzled money and he was about to get caught and, you know, like...
1: Or just as we do, took too much Benadryl. (laughs) Yeah, or just... (laughs)
0: Right, exactly, right? Uh, And so he essentially becomes just a vehicle for the David Wallace character and maybe the the David Foster Wallace author to work out his own shit. And um, with a little bit of distance you know, that allows him to make fun of himself and condemn himself, but also praise himself and all of that. And yeah, um, yeah. this other thing that is definitely true of this and it's also true of This Is Water, this appreciation of cliches. So worrying (laughs) that cliches are cliches and so they're trite and pathetic and everybody's going to make fun of them, but at the same time... Feeling that they're deeply true. And if we would just let ourselves understand that truth, we would be happier. Um, but all this bullshit and worries right. about being fraudulent and worries about being just cliched and dull and, um, and lame yeah. just gets in the way of us actually getting to simple, beautiful truths about the world.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And it, and it's consistent with at least my understanding of, of, uh, David Foster Wallace's concerns about irony and the, the generation that, that was so, so ironic where it's like, well, now, now you've just shut yourself off from this certain amount of just authenticity that you can achieve through these, what, what might be considered hackneyed by, by this post, uh, modern or this, this generation of irony. And it's, hilarious in i think a real sense that (laughs) that it is the sarcasm of lilith from cheers that throws him over the edge (laughs) exactly (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) um and i can't help but thinking to myself too oh god like you're not that important you're self-obsessed like i'm reminded of like we may have had friends like this in 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 college uh that who get drunk some dude gets drunk and he starts talking about how nobody knows his pain and you're just like shut the fuck up phil like you're you're doing fine like your life is not a tragedy um
0: but that's you know as we've seen like like it it actually might be even though you think the guy's should get over himself that's the kind of pain and and it's very much about we haven't talked about this that much but the inability of language to communicate a person's Mm -hmm. inner life is a prominent theme in
1: this story um and that's why i think it's meandering in 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 purposeful ways where where he's clearly making an effort and and noting over and over again in this in this sort of uh meta way like i can't I can't, like I I know I know I'm doing a bad job of this yeah. like but, but like stay with me
0: right I know this is yeah. boring and tedious and yeah. you probably uh, hate me and you just want to get to the part where I kill myself but you know stick with me. <laughs> but I, I yeah, yeah. good I was just gonna say though that I think that there is something deep about that line is the idea that at a, from an early age I'd somehow chosen to cast my lot with my life's drama's supposed audience instead of with the drama itself it's like he's so worried about how the drama will be perceived will it be perceived as trite will it be perceived as 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 deep that he just forgets about the actual drama the actual feelings that come with with being a uh, a person that has relationships and um struggles and joys and it's it's like he's he he he's already he jumped to being from being concerned about those actual things to being concerned about how they'll be perceived and there's something so sad about that
1: it's very, yeah it's to, it's totally sad and and There's a lot lot of wisdom in this. And, you know, what? another section that is, like, so beautiful and tragic also, given what happened, is when he is describing, and I know that that at least I've heard that people who who decide to kill themselves um, Mm. kind of have, like, or can have, I should say, a moment uh, of cheery mood before Uh once they've already decided and he's talking about like now that i know i'm gonna die everything that i'm experiencing is just wonderful and like amazing and you know this since this is the last time i'm going to see whatever you know a computer screen and a microphone in front of me this is the last time i'm gonna see it and when when you when you're in that mental state all of a sudden. You realize how much you take for granted in in life, of course, this isn't enough to stop him no. from doing it, but just that that set of observations was it was really powerful
0: and tragic that he couldn't have appreciated those things earlier, you know
1: without exactly. knowing that he was going
0: to that, that it was going to be the yeah. last time he would experience them you know that's right
1: that's right um, there is a uh, the, uh, metaness that maybe that's what our listeners uh like one of the reasons some of our listeners pointed us to this story where you know i hesitate to say borgesian but i think borgesian for where sure the you know there is there is at least three levels of this shit right and which whichever level you want to focus on can give you a different kind of appreciation and insight for what's going on i think there's there's a level at which you can take Neil's story as a true story about a, a true person named Neil. And then there's this taking the character of David Wallace and what it says about him that he's gives the story of Neil the blink of an eye and has all these thoughts about him. And then there's the, the meta David Foster Wallace writing all this down and us trying to guess which parts... Are him, are him describing Neil, are him failing to understand, you know, making a point about failing to understand other people or making really keen observations about what it's like to be human and therefore understanding all people in some way. Right. I think one of the things
0: that people love about David Foster Wallace is that at least it seems like he did try, even if he would felt himself ultimately incapable of connecting with others and being a better person than the way that he imagined a a good person should be. He did want to do it and he wanted to help other people do it. And, and yet I don't totally see that from this story, you know? And I think that's why I think this is a story that is, he's being (laughs) self-critical to a large degree. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's the thing, you know, it gives, it gives the safety of distance and, and, you know, I'm not talking about me, dude. I'm talking about Neil. Yeah. And moreover, this David Wallace might not even be me, but I'm going to tell you that it's David Wallace. So you know that there's enough me in there. Yeah. Um, you know, in reading some, some article about, uh, about this, that I've I've put a link to a couple of articles, um, in show notes, but, um, somebody without saying the words, they described the, you know, the, The solution of of being caught in this solipsistic, ever growing knot—it's like a Gordian knot—and the way out was to take a sword to it, Mm -hmm. right? And that's that's the way that 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 Neil um, got himself out of this this cycle. I thought that was a nice way of putting it because he is getting us into this knot, like this tied up all about him and and he's just very matter-of-factly like i drove my fucking corvette into a wall and and it's <laughs> like that it.
0: he thought that was the only way to get out of his yeah. of the cycle of get out of the spiral of his solipsism and actually at, it's after that in a, a, you know in the narrative he says that he is actually able to connect with the therapist right not in yeah. life but only in death Is he able to connect? That's an,
1: it's a super interesting way of saying, like, I don't know what he's saying, but it's like the the limitations, he's saying like the limitations of the afterlife, I mean, of life go away in the afterlife, but he's doing it as a way to just point to the real limitations of life. Yeah. Right. Um,
0: Or or or, or possibly like the kind of obliteration of self. You know, like you yeah, could then read you can then understand the, everything. Yeah, and then com- then that opens the door for real compassion. You know, real right. connection. Um, you and
1: I are one now. Yes. Like all your shit is my shit. Yeah, I now I love Baby ask-
0: Yoda and, uh, exactly. and, Keanu, and, and Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Internet fan yeah. fiction or whatever.
1: Uh, I also like douchey cinephiles. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you how much you thought because we can't help but think about this but but maybe sort of as a way to wrap this up like do you think there's no right answer to this but how much do you think we ought to take the david foster wallace killing himself as a way to understand this text my my temptation is that we shouldn't at all that we should treat it as it's is a thing in, on its own that whatever the whatever ended up happening to david foster wallace doesn't Bear much on what he's telling us here, but
0: that is my temptation, and it's. But it is also very hard to do that. I think, I, yeah, like I, it's, I, I, it's sort of what I believe, just in general, that you should yeah. try to separate the author's light, unless it's something like The Irishman, which is very much about Martin Scorsese's past career but the thing that we are taking into account with this story is david foster wallace's future and i think that's mm-hmm. that's something that i that maybe i'm more resistant to the the one way i would guess i would we can at least see that this is somebody who is deeply struggling with suicidal thoughts yeah may,
1: i wonder yeah. i wonder how much um, that would have come across having not read this before. David Foster Wallace died by suicide. Like, I, I wonder how much, like, you know. Now we're like red flag. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I, I think a lot of it. Like, this is where other people would, who have read way more of his work, will know better. Yeah. Like, to what extent his other work signaled? He, he definitely written some stuff about depression and, right. But I, yeah, I don't know.
1: I think it does a a bit of a disservice, and I, I say this because I I know that that he was a human being, and what happened to him does matter. But I do some sometimes think it does a disservice to the author to um, not take the text, yeah, just alone. I, and yeah. and I think it's, yeah, it's super tempting to, but you know, the truth is that had he lived a completely different life, we wouldn't. We were, Like the text stands on its own as a powerful, as, as a, a moving piece of art, no matter what, even if David Foster Wallace was like, you know, some yeah. rich asshole who yeah. loved life so much or killed, you know, like it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just I, I would say that it's it's almost asking too much of the reader to yeah. to yeah. have at the reader point, at right. this point just completely separate that from the text. So, and I know I didn't. Um, And and at some, and and I agree about the disservice, but then at some point it kind of kept me going in parts where I, would have been, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially frustrated, you know, with the story, yeah. Kind of,
1: it's funny what kept me going too. Was you said you were talking about having faith in the author, yeah. um, and we've talked about this before where you just have to have faith in like whatever the artist is that they're gonna not lead you astray. And and I couldn't help but think here that since I was, I you know, what I read of David Foster Wallace, I really enjoyed, um, but I read nonfiction, yeah, and yes. I. I in reading this, it was actually faith in our audience yeah, that kept me going. That's true, for <laughs> sure.
0: They wouldn't have recommended this if, right? If it was, you know, if there wasn't something about it that, you know, that we, <laughs> right. it's true. I feel like they know us so well at this <laughs> point that um, that there's no way that they could have recommended it. I absolutely agree. I I will say it's interesting that some of like I have really loved some of his nonfiction pieces and the Roger Federer one is I think so brilliant. And part of the reason I think that it's so brilliant and that oh, he's yeah, so I may good have read it. that one too. Have yeah, you read that yeah. one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I did. That's right. Yeah. It's that he is yeah.
0: describing something that is not him at all. You yeah. know, it is yeah. just something that is exists in the world and that's beautiful. That isn't r- underground man, wrapped up in his own bullshit at least that's my memory of it i haven't read it in a while but i remember that being just a perfect description of roger federer and what it's like to watch him play tennis rather than you know about his own recursive fantasies or whatever yeah
1: yeah well, thanks for the recommendation. I I, I enjoyed it. I did too. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into more
0: David Foster Wallace. We should, I mean I imagine yeah. we'll do another episode at some point on him.
1: That's right. I uh, hopefully I I bought the book, so <laughs> I don't want to waste my money. We didn't say what Good Old Neon was about, but it's explained in a footnote marginally. Um, the the reason for the title. Um, well it's but not a it's footnote, actually
0: right because he said he had a neon aura around him uh Neil.
1: yeah but but the footnote really really yeah. explains it i think
0: um that's a weird footnote um, that i <laughs> that i it's don't very, like. Weird. it's like two nice yeah. car by the um, way um
1: nice the the corvette
0: he goes as if the present that? were this car oh, oh, nice yeah.
1: nice car by the way,
0: and the past is <laughs> the like just <laughs> There's a lot of stylistic, it's a little like Joaquin Phoenix's performance, like stylistic inconsistencies.
1: That's not a bad way to describe it. Yeah. Like the, and the Joaquin Phoenix, uh, you know, now that you say it that way, like it, I, that Joaquin Phoenix performance is in some ways the performance of someone kind of trying to find what the person's voice, what the Joker's voice would be. Um, and this might be, Just that, like trying to find what what this character of Neil might be. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it's a nice, it's a good insight. Good job.
0: Well, (laughs) let's end there. Let's quit while we're ahead. Uh, Join us next time on Very back (laughs) With man they think deep thoughts and with no more brains than you have pay no attention to that man anybody can have a brain
1: you're a very bad man i'm a very good man just a very bad wizard